Oh, oh, one more thing. Just One More Thing, a podcast about Columbo. I'm John Morris. And I'm R.J. White. This time around, we're talking about Requiem for a Fallen Star. Originally broadcast January 21st, 1973, directed by Richard Klein, written by Jackson Gillis, and starring Ann Baxter, Mel Ferrer, Kevin McCarthy, and Peter Falk as Columbo. And every episode of the podcast, we're joined by a special guest to help us discuss Columbo. This time, we're welcoming back uh, an older guest we haven't talked to in a while, cultural critic Nate Patron. But before we bring on Nate, RJ, what's the buzz, cuz? Hey, Johnny, what's the scoop? Want smart gossip? Some good dirt? Some hot goss? Hear the latest about Nora Chandler, formerly America's little sweetheart, the queen of the Rialto? Well, seems she's been in hot water lately. Word in the street is that she put the candle to that assistant of hers in a big way. The talk is that her sidearm was shacking up with that columnist, Jerry Parks. Guess Parks has a file on Chandler that would choke a horse. Seems that has been went pyro on the wrong stooge, now she's in Dutch. You see, the cops have this dick, Columbo, on the case, and he's been sniffing around my lady's drawers something fierce. Plus, he's digging around whatever happened to that big studio boss husband of hers who took a vapor a forever and a half ago. You ask me, she's heading straight for a stretch to the women's wing up at San Q. Hi, Nate. Hello. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, man, welcome was... back to the show. Thank you. Uh, as we've been going around, uh, folks who were on uh, in earlier days, uh, if they had to talk about a uh, 70s one, uh, we've been forcing them to talk about a 90s one. But you, I believe, talked about our first 90s episode, uh, Columbo and the Murder of a Rockstar. So now yes. you get a 70s episode. Yeah, so it's, welcome it's a, back. Thank you. Yeah, I know I was uh, on for that uh, for that 90s one on account of the... Uh, musical content thereof which right. i believe was fairly substandard but now right. oh we're just just in... like uh, going like a shadow in a hungry street yes yeah but now i get to you know indulge some of my you know wider pursuits including film and uh automobiles which we will discuss in a in a bit oh really okay yes. Yes. do tell when we get there oh yeah well actually i do, I do. How, how does the automobile thing start with us uh, go ahead and go into that because I wasn't expecting this at all to go well, into there, that in depth. Yeah, there is a uh, there is a car in this movie that has a precedent of being cruelly dispatched in uh, motion pictures and television series. Oh, which uh, which think... one though? Because I mean, okay, let's talk about because there's a car that gets blown up. Well, it gets burnt up. Oh, it's out. The... So it is that car that's actually used as uh, the sort of murder weapon because uh, yeah. and Baxter. Uh, she's intending to kill a gossip columnist who has a whole uh, bunch of stuff on her embezzling from her movie studio. Or is she? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Um, but uh, she just uh, pretty much her method of murder. And it's one of the sloppiest murders, I think, <laughs> in the history of the show. The 40-year history of the show. Very sloppy. Um, yeah, it, uh, spilled yeah, so out a whole bunch of gasoline... And they lighten it when a car parks over it. But she, uh, instead of getting her intended target, uh, she ends up killing her assistant. Yeah, it's a calculated plan that kind of comes off like a, a immediate crime of passion. And she leaves evidence everywhere. It's just oh, yeah. a total, it's, it's a total shit show. And oh, it's awful, like yeah. 15 minutes in, I'm like, okay, how are they going to do the whole alibi thing? Like, <laughs> right. How are they going to... You know, try and misdirect Columbo with all this super incriminating shit lying around. Well, they they do it a, a little bit by uh, having both sides, both the um, uh, the murderer and the intended murder victim, just by being really sleazy, awful people with uh, terrible secrets and motives, just going back and forth at each other. Yeah, uh, sounds about right. How it is, yeah, for the most part. This is this is actually a major point I want to talk about. Because you're right, it's the sloppiest murder ever on the oh, show. Oh, it's awful! It's it's so, the, it's not it's not yeah it's not even like a, one of those crime of passion things like in the uh, the Donald yeah, Pleasant's one. It, it's a plan, but it's a <laughs> sloppy uh, last minute thrown together plan. Yeah. She actually, when she's pouring it's gasoline weird. in the driveway, she actually manages to pour some on her shoes. Yes, right. which is a pretty good you know when Columbo comes into the bungalow the first time, surely he smells that. Maybe she buried him with her husband. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Uh, but also, kind of like uh, jumping around here in the uh, in the plot points, it looks like. Oh, that's why we always do that. That's yes. what we do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, so the car you said. Uh, oh man. What, but so, what do you mean about the car? Like it, that? That's been kind of it's had that type of car has had problems in other films, other TV shows in the past. Well, it's you've noticed. I think car aficionados will easily agree that the Jaguar XKE, which we see mm-hmm. uh, pretty much in the beginning of the, uh, like, I think like probably what the second shot of the sh- episode, it's like, it's parked outside by uh, yeah. Nora Chandler's palatial estate or some uh, office of the film uh, studio or another. Yeah. It, it's outside her uh, bungalow, which she has held on to jealously on the uh, movie back lot for low these many years. Yeah. And I believe the XKE belongs to the, uh, uh, the uh, Kenneth Anger real. Hollywood Babylon guy here. <laughs> yeah, that's a Jerry good reference. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he has this Jaguar XKE. Now, car aficionados know that A, the Jaguar XKE is one of the, if not the, finest automobiles ever produced. It's it a nice looking machine. It, yeah, it basically re, uh, resuscitated the uh, uh, the British automotive industry's uh, reputation as a highly sporting, uh, you know, a producer of highly sporting cars. It's one of the nicest looking cars ever made. It's it's basically like the 60s in automobile form, uh, or at least everything idealized about the 60s. And the moment I saw it, I figured, okay, whoever owns that car is fucked. Because <laughs> one weird thing I've noticed is how classic XKEs, you know, they produced them from about 1961 through the early 70s, and they're very valuable nowadays. But classic XKEs in period, like in period pieces and in modern films, get destroyed on a regular basis. Really? I think you have examples. I have a few. Good. The original Italian job. Mm. The Jerk, which is the. Uh, the uh, lawsuit scene where the actor dies because the director missed his cue because the optograb left him cockeyed. That, <laughs> yeah, the car goes off a cliff, and that, that scene was actually reused, I found out, through the magic of the Internet Movie Card Database. Uh, well, here, wait, 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 hold, hold like up. Remington oh, oh, Steel. Back a step, back a step. Because I heard you, Internet Movie, and my brain filled in database. Internet Movie Car Database? That's a thing. It certainly is. If oh, you want God to know, bless you, like, Internet. What such and such was being driven in what Fast and Furious movie, you will find out wow. down the year and the submodel. And, and uh, for the edification of our uh, listeners, what, what is the address of that? Is it imcdb.com? That it is oh, imcdb.org. Oh, 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 it's a .org. Hey, John, it's a .org. It's a .org. It is go. not for commercial purposes. <laughs> so you have the Italian job, the jerk... Vanishing Point, 52 Pickup, the remake of Straw Dogs, the remake of The Mechanic, the original Love Bug, Harold and Maude, which is oh, the right. gay car that yeah. gets turned into a hearse yes, and then gets hooked off yeah. a cliff, mm-hmm. the original 1967 Casino Royale, oh. final MST3K episode Diabolik, oh. the Rockford Files, uh, speaking sure. of MST3K, one of those master ninja shows they showed on MST3K back in the day, and... That's just for starters. I haven't even gone on to the myriad obscure European films that wind up wrecking one for the you know purposes of a almost uniformly mediocre cinematography. So. so so pretty much it was a thing where for a while a time was being made that it was kind of a very easy maybe shorthand to get your to get one of those cars to sort of uh, kind of tell the audience tell the viewers. Hey, this is a fancy fellow. Hey, this is a fancy guy with a lot of oh, yeah. dough. He's got a sport car. It's a nice looking one. So a lot of uh, productions just automatically went to that to grab exactly. one of those, and then to really make the hammer the point home, uh, just wreck the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. And we paid for the car. Might as well trash it. Oh man, I uh, I'm seeing. I did a little research while you were chatting. Uh, apparently, the most famous uh, or the most uh, this seems unlikely to me, but frequently seen. XKE Destruction was in the opening credits to Matt Houston. Oh, I used to watch that show as a kid. <laughs> I don't remember the opening credits, but oh, I'm sure There's I saw a, it an, many, many times. An XKE that just falls into water. For no reason, the probably. There's no explanation. <laughs> just like, oh, this guy's rich enough to just drive wow, this car into the that water. Is, that's a fascinating history of the XKE. And since we're on cars, yes. 
Can can I mention that I feel like some shortcuts were made on this episode because no. they were filming on the studio back lot, which is usually a sign that they're trying to save a little money. Right, but hmm. but they and, all, yeah, go ahead. Well, the one the one that stood out was they didn't finish distressing Columbo's car. Oh yeah, it looks like it's yeah. just some really weird sort of odd, very surface paint. Stuff. Yeah, they just they took like a broad, stiff bristle brush and then brushed the the black paint on it. Yeah, they went with a faux finish. But then what you do is you go back over that to wipe away part of it so it looks actually worn, and they didn't do that part. Yeah, it just looks like, oh, there's some swipes of dark paint. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's odd. Or maybe it might have been Bondo. I have no idea, but it did not look right. It looked like somebody just painted the car. But uh, getting into that, uh, getting to, uh, okay, after the murder has been committed, uh, the the, uh, and Baxter mistakenly blows up her assistant... Or did she? I don't know. Who's... See, they kind of. I that case. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say that every time you. Yeah, speak. just do it. Sure. Um, this has uh, this has a lot of uh, really good uh, standard Columbo uh, cliches and jokes and uh, things. This episode, and of course, one of the the first is as Columbo's pulling up to the studio gate, and the security guard uh, looking at the car and assuming Columbo's there with a stunt car. That's to be sacrificed in some um, uh, demolition derby scene in some grand demolition derby epic film that they're making at the studio. Yeah, well, it's not. It nice doesn't enough. believe doesn't believe Columbo's actually a cop, which leads to a wonderful bit of business where he's like, "Oh, you didn't see a sticker on my windshield," and then Columbo looks over like, "Ah, oh, someone took the sticker. Who's stealing the sticker? The police sticker from Columbo's windshield?" But it's just such a nice thing where um, Falk's reaction is kind of like, "Oh, that happens." It's like almost bemused, and it's wonderful. I love it. He's got a lot of good stuff in this episode like that. That is one of my favorites. And also, yeah. I like that you just guess from Columbus' personality, that sticker's been missing for weeks. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Of course. Of course yeah. it is. Yeah. It's yeah. Forever. That's that's nice that they leave part of the joke to your imagination, and you can fill it in if you know Columbo. Right. And actually, uh, part of that, too, like um, the, the, the guard starts kind of quizzing about it, and and then the guardian asks him, like, oh, don't you have another car? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah Mrs. Columbo, my wife's got one, but that's just for transportation, which I thought was mm-hmm. an interesting line. Like, hers is just for transportation. His, that's uh, his car that he loves. It's true. She's got to go back and forth from uh, doing the shopping, cleaning the house, yeah. into her job at the penny saver. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But where his, she solves mysteries. His is going to, to solve other mysteries, which makes it more important than just for transportation, which I thought was a really nice line to throw in yeah. there a little yeah. bit. There's, a, there's some good stuff. I like uh, I like that scene a lot. That might be my favorite in the movie, which is a little sad. Yeah, because this one is... Okay, hey, folks. Uh, do an early survey? Well, no, I'm going to say, like, uh, I'm going to uh, forgive me, people, uh, our fine listeners. Here's a little, like, uh, behind the scenes how the sausage is made things. So we almost uh, recorded this episode uh, about a week ago. I had watched a completely different episode and labored under the delusion for a week and a half that I'd watched the correct (laughs) episode. Um, I won't say what episode that was, uh, but after watching this one, finally, correctly, I kind of wish we were still talking about the other episode. And I'll just leave it at that. Because this one was okay, but eh, not the best. For, For my part, I'll point out that just by happenstance, I basically watched this episode seven times in seven days. Wait, how did you do that? This is a fascinating question. <laughs> like, how did you end up watching this? Because I watched it for the first time, like, a few years ago. Right, same And here. then I, when I found out, uh, quite unexpectedly, because I'm an idiot, <laughs> last Thursday, like, oh, I gotta watch this again, I guess, the next couple of days. I watch again, and I feel like I've had my fill for a while. Uh, how did you watch it seven times in seven days? Well, I'm going to I'm going to tell you this. My I watched it, you know, a few years back. Didn't make much of an impression. When I watched it right. the first time out of my 7, I thought it was pretty underwhelming. The more I watched it, the more I liked it. Mm. I actually am I'm not it's not one of my <clears throat> 10 favorite, but it's a good middle-range Columbo for me. That's the thing. It's, it's a middle yeah. it's a middle thing. It's, it's like, a middle range. It wasn't it wasn't bad. Right. It wasn't great. It was like, eh, it was all right." But yeah, yeah so I, what, got the, I got the same feeling. It's like I watched it once and I'm like, mm, yeah, but like the more I thought about it, the I, I kind of like the, you know, the story beats and the way things played mm-hmm. out. I mean, it wasn't it's the most really interesting solid. setting, but yeah, it had some good performances, a lot of good dialogue. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Uh, I really my favorite exchange besides the uh, where's my sticker uh, was uh, Mel Ferrer and Ann Baxter at the little bar in her bungalow when he asks if it's he so can have catty. a drink. It's everything so catty. Between them is everything between them is so catty. It's very it's arch. I love it. Yes. And he asks if he can have a drink. She says, "Buy your, Buy your own. own." Yes. And then oh, with a smile, he says, "What is it? Thank you." <laughs> it just, it's so beautiful. Anyway, so what happened is we had a house guest. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I watched it for this podcast, our house guest was there. And then she was rec- recollecting watching Columbo as a child and she had some questions about it. So we were talking about the show more than we were watching it. Then for the rest of the week she was here, whenever I had a spare moment, I would try to watch the episode and something would happen where within the last 20 minutes or so I'd have to stop watching. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to just jump back in where I left off, so I would always restart and then always end up not seeing the end. So I, I've seen it seven times. I've seen the ending twice. So wait, did you guys get to uh, see Columbo yelling uh, for Shriners? Yes. <laughs> Only once then, or did you have to see Columbo yelling for a Shriner seven times then? <laughs> three three times, I think. Okay. I think I got that far three times. Another did that make any sense, like, in, as a, just, like... As anything other than inexplicable foreshadowing? Well, no, because they, they they had Chekhov's uh, Shriner's Ring. That's right. The really photos. The episode. They had the photos of um, uh, Man Baxter's uh, late husband yeah. on the wall. He brings up the he brings up the Shriner's Ring. Like, oh, I know what that is. It's a thing. Blah blah. blah. Oh, oh yeah. actually, uh, that yeah, I know. He asks her specifically. It's like, oh, I know about that. That he's like a third level whatever. And it turns out like Columbo had an uncle. Uh, who's in the mm. Shriner, so he knew about it from that. Um, actually, I, that was a thing. That that the fellow who was her husband in all those photos, Al Cumberland, uh, I believe mm. the studio head's name. Very short. I can't figure out who that is a photo of. If that is some old-time actor or what, I couldn't find anything online right. to see who the heck that would be. I don't know if you guys had any idea or not. No luck. Some, uh, some guy on the production staff? Maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm hoping it's Jackson Gillis. <laughs> That'd be great. The writer, uh, yeah. But no, I, I checked uh, Columbo File, the book, mm-hmm. and nothing in there. And then Falk does mention assorted episodes now and again in his uh, autobiography, but it wasn't it wasn't mentioned. Oh, weird. Yeah, because it seemed mm. like it was supposed to be somebody, maybe. Mm. But yeah. yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Strange. It looked it looked like Carl Reiner in a really black wig. Oh, <laughs> before Laura Petrie sold him out. Yes, I I literally thought it was going to be Rob or Carl Reiner when I first saw it. But I, think <laughs> it was like, yeah. I don't know. Oh, there's oh I want to go back uh, one more thing in the studio guard scene. Sure. Uh, the cut back uh, to Falk in the car. At one point, uh, you can actually see uh, script pages next to him on the passenger seat. Oh. <laughs> nice. Yes. I'd only go back like, what is that? What? It? Oh, it is. He had, That's he had, hilarious. He had his little, uh, he had his little Columbo script next to him there. For that <laughs> That's shot. That was, I thought that was great. I don't think it's sloppy. I think it's a nice thing. The uh, boom mic. Yeah. The bungalow a couple scenes later, that was sloppy, but the p- script pages. No, that's not sloppy. That's the, uh, the bungalow, uh, slightly irritated me, uh, for, Oh, for such a, it was such a set. It was such a yeah. set. It was such yes. a set. And then when she comes into her bungalow, this bungalow that was given to her by the studio when she was a very successful child star. And she's Wait, when she was when she was the um, analog for Shirley Temple, yes. Right. For sure. Uh, Although, did, when did she, Shirley Temple ever have a goes-to-college movie? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she had oh, a few Bachelor, where she got older. Bachelor and the Bobby Yes, Stockard. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she had a bunch of right. teen star. But she was smart to kind of go away from the business and become like a... UN ambassador and stuff like that. Whereas this character is like, I want to hang on to my fading, my fading stardom. I want to hang on to my rotting corpse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yes, uh, that too. Well, can we, we talk to a bit that. about the, the setness of the environs and the opening kind of uh red herring? Absolutely. Because yeah. I oh, sure. Because I think, I think John, you had emailed about that. Uh, last week about when I thought you were talking about a completely different episode. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? This one looks great. Like, oh, no, you're talking about this episode. You're right. Uh, about yeah, it being I, very visually yeah, for, not so uh, interesting. For, it, for an episode that's about the distance between the the image of Hollywood and the reality of Hollywood, it was not very well, not 
not shot in a very interesting way. No, not at all. Yeah, it's it like I think the intention was to kind of like trick the viewer because the first she, the first scene she walks into this big room with a gun and shoots some figure through I guess like the bathroom windows. Right, which it's kind of like uh, it reminded me of Fade into Murder, the uh, Shatner seventies episode where they start you out with a fake. Oh, there's some sort of detective murder thing happening here. It's like, no, it's actually a fake TV show or something like that. Mm. Which I, I thought it weird that they then recycled that later on. Same kind of yeah. tricking thing, but yeah. And then doesn't she like flub the take? She's like, oh, darn, I missed. And they all laugh. And I'm like, that's a lot of glass you're going to have to clean up. Set <laughs> no, she didn't, she didn't I think, flub it. It I think they, they finished yeah. it. And then after it was done, then she made a gag because she's yeah. all buddies with the crew. Yeah. You have to laugh. Yeah, so something for the uh, for the uh, Burt Reynolds reel at the end. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes. Then there's one where Jackie Chan accidentally kicks her in the side of the head. Yep. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the parts where they – I got to like this more as I watched it. But the parts where they had the, uh, the crossover between what's happening in her TV movie and what's happening in real life, I thought were, were interesting. But I wish they, they had been – different. This is well, bad acting. This is it, good acting. Pretty much. But I also wish that they had been more – I wish I'd been fooled more. Yes, yeah. You know, that's when exactly, the, they look when exactly the, sergeant, the same. Right. When the sergeant is, is cross-examining her on the couch and he's being oh, right. Yeah. it takes literally within five seconds you know that it's on the set. Yeah. And I don't want that. I would love if that – like it would be a, a nice bit of parallel storytelling, of symmetry in storytelling – if the plot of the the show she were in, especially if it were getting script rewrites on the fly, which sometimes happens in TV, was mirroring her mental state or the trial she's facing under investigation by Columbo. Which obviously uh, the, the Jackson Gill script intended that. Yeah. But uh, the vi- uh, visually the uh, directing did not hold that up. And we, we, ta- uh, we were looking uh, just before the thing. Jackson Gill is... Uh, wrote a bunch of pretty darn good episodes of this yeah. thing. Script script editor after yeah. Steve Bochco. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the, he had definitely had the intention, I think, for that to happen. But, yeah. Just, right. Writer looking... and script editor also for The Adventures of Superman. So that's two of my interests. Oh, really? Wait, the uh, 50s yeah. show? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Quite Jeez, a, quite a few for a while. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. He used to write for the radio show, too. Good Lord. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Good career. I, I, I'm, I'm super impressed by that. I very much like Jackson Gillis. Neat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I feel bad that uh, what he obviously was trying to set up here uh, didn't quite carry through with the final product. Yeah. yeah. Though there is a bunch of pretty good, interesting, uh, odd stuff in here. Yeah, there's a lot of good business. There's some good scenes yeah. in the prop department. The, the conversation yeah. in the prop car. Oh, that was kind of, I mean, that's the thing, the, oh, the prop department scene, that was... No, the, the actually, prop car, the, with the, with the screen behind Oh, the process shot, right? yes. yeah, 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 yeah. For a, the briefest second, that's where I realized why I wanted these to mirror what was going on, because for the briefest second, I thought it was a real scene. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously you see that it's a really grainy background shot, and she's being chased by cops, I'm like, okay, well, it's just the TV show. But that's where I, I saw the potential of it. I'm just sorry it didn't it didn't really right pan out. But I mean, um, uh, going back to the, to the the prop thing brings up something that you, I think you see a lot in this episode. Where something I always love about Columbo is you get these uh, bits and pieces where he'll bring up stuff that shows and implies he's been uh, working on stuff that the audience hasn't seen. He's been like a tracking down archives he's been talking to people and brings it up but in this you see that a bit more and i think the um the prop shop thing is a big example of that like why is he talking mm-hmm. to the prop guy like oh that's the thing usually most episodes you don't see that he would say later like oh well i talked to the prop department and they said they had the uh, fountain delivered like you actually get to see him being nice to the guy talking to him everything like that uh also the uh, towards the end when he actually is going through his notebook and he's reading his notes, I don't know that I've ever seen that in an episode. There's a Where you actually get to hear him reading through his notes, his thought process, and he's writing that stuff down once he actually finds a pencil. He doesn't usually say that. And I thought Didn't that I... was really interesting. Yeah, you're right. It's rare. But I think it happened in um, the Patrick McGoon episode we just reviewed. 
Oh, really? He did it a little bit? Oh, okay. I think so, Because this yeah. one, he does it a lot. He's going through and he's like, oh, a secret. What's the secret? I don't know. Like, he's going through and, like, yeah. what he actually writes down when everyone's not paying attention to him. How'd you feel about really that? Cool. I liked it. Yeah. I liked that we got to actually get some insight into, like, I mean, it's a little bit like, how does his brain work? Like, what is mm-hmm. he writing down in those? It's not every single detail. It's the things that he actually thinks are important and wants to work on and wants to try to puzzle out, which yeah. I, I like that we get to see just a tiny glimpse of that. Well, and I like the idea that, as a character, he's really about putting up a front, calling bluffs, pretending to be something he's not. And I, I'm sure this is you know, a recurring theme because he's done so many... Uh, cases where he, you know, talks to Hollywood people, mm-hmm. but just it's you know, illusion versus illusion. It's like we're trying to kind of project this fake notion of uh, you know, police uh, police work versus his idiosyncratic uh, illusion of you know wh- who he is and what he actually does. Mm-hmm. And there's this, you know, there's that's that scene uh, where they're yeah they're sh- they're shooting that uh, scene with the sergeant and it does kind of seem like they're kind of clowning on shittier cop shows. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, this, no, that's this script yeah, doesn't make yeah, any yeah. sense. What is this? Oh totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Columbo also has that line early on when he's talking to uh, to Baxter and he says something. Why can't they make movies like that anymore without all the violence? Right. Oh, that's it's like too. his reaction to New yeah. Hollywood. Columbo is not a fan of Sam Peckinpah. Right. Yes. Exactly. No. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know what's oh, great about point. that too? Of course, is he's yeah. close friend with Cassavetes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he's in. Uh, oh no, I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, he he acted uh, opposite Cassavetes and Mikey and Nikki. Yep. Oh, they were. Yeah, they were very very close friends. Yeah. Mm. Um. Actually, another thing too about um. Uh, people kind of uh, seeing through Columbo. Um, Kevin McCarthy, we haven't talked about yet. Um, Kevin McCarthy, who's great in this as this guy who bought the studio and, and actually has one of his first lines about owning the studio, including owning and Baxter, which is creepy as hell. It's um, creepy, but it's, it seems to make sense in the context of this thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, uh, uh Kevin McCarthy, that guy should totally have been a murderer on a Columbo episode. Yeah. Even even in the '90s, he would have been a good one, a very very good. One. He was in he was in UHF. He was still going around. He would have been perfect. Sure, '70s yeah. or '90s. Again, he looked and the I same think, pretty much. But yeah, yeah. To kind of continue off the uh, what I was uh, bringing up uh, is just yeah the idea that yeah this is a like '60s style studio, which is like I I get the feeling that it's you know been hit hard by the whole. Uh, you know, m- movie brat. Oh no, but they, they address the Spielberg movement. They're addressing. They address that too, yeah. where they've got problems. They've got to streamline, get smaller, not be so beholden to the huge stars of the forties, thirties, forties, and fifties who have the giant bungalow, even mm-hmm. if they didn't have a murdered husband hidden in the yard. <laughs> um, where it's like, yeah, no, I mean, because um, Columbo talking to that uh, that guy, it's like, oh, tell your boss, like, well, I am the boss. Because Columbo didn't realize, because it's this young guy mm-hmm. right, running the thing. Which was another think... one of the best lines in the episode. Oh, oh yes, the thing about I, I would never, never typecast you as a detective either. Right. Which is. But great. I'm sorry, Nate. I interrupted you. There. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that's no. That's... Actually, I interrupted him, and I started <laughs> trailing off. But sorry. Yes. Go ahead. Well, if you're interrupting me to make good points, that's fine with me. I never am. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have now that the fountain is brought up, though. I I do want to talk about. My my little pet theory. Hmm. And then again, this is seven viewings of this episode. Right. But I feel very strongly because the we know the arson was really obvious. I yeah. I don't think it took very long to figure out who did it. Cause Columbo I by the when Columbo has uh has Nora Chandler in his car, coming back from looking at the burned Jaguar and watching her kind of phony uh fainting act. And he turns to her and he says really seriously, whoever killed that girl made a terrible mistake. And it yeah. seems very much like he's saying, so you can correct that if you want. Oh, but there's another, there's another moment too, uh, the Edith Head scene oh, or Edith Head's office, so um, where Ann Baxter pulls the old, oh, well, yes. I think it might have happened this way thing. And she's trying to explain how it could have happened. 
Uh-huh. And the look on uh, Falk's face is so sad that it's obvious, like, he knows and he just feels yeah. like, oh, don't do this. Just Please wishes don't he don't do this. On, her, on his way it. out, on his way out, he actually, yeah, he says, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to do it like this? And he seems to be referencing. Because, yeah, her exposing, like, her, yeah. her uh, little uh, peccadilloes and whatnot. But, no, it, you know, it's the fact do you, that. Do you really want to drag this on? Right, yes. Right. Now, do but, you think uh, that the. That Columbo was actually legitimately kind of starstruck when he saw Nora, or was oh, he first, just putting on the yes. front? No, yeah. at first he is because and it's so an odd thing that grooming. Yeah, that grooming thing before he goes in the door. That's never been a concern of Columbo's at oh, all. Yeah, <laughs> or the part where he's yelling at the other, "Don't call me here, I'm busy." Yes, or you know, uh, I, I another great joke scene I loved is when she does her fake fainting act in front of the car and he starts yelling at everybody. We're going to get that tested. You you go look over here. Yeah, yeah, uh, don't don't look at her. Yes. Right. Just mm-hmm. really trying to get it. And he still cares, but he he's knows. got her pegged from this. He knows. Point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, this is like less a who done it and a why done it. Well, yeah. that's he wants that's to know, well, like, no, this is this is capable of this kind of thing. I think this comes to John's thing. He's a Yeah, having watched it a few times. When even when he's getting dolled up, I think he's got a big crush on Nora Chandler. But he already—he's pretty sure at that point that she has something to do with it, if not the actual murder. By the time you know, because it's whenever the the rich people act super nice to Columbo is when he forgets his first. Okay, you're probably guilty of something, which is a great a great class thing. It is a great class thing. Yeah. But uh, around the time he's looking at her husband's photo and he hears the story of how he died, and he's looking at the ring, and he just kind of clicks. That that doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. And my theory is that during this episode, because it's a really – first off, uh, they they go a long time, go a long while into the episode before anyone says the arson team has decided it's arson. But it's obviously arson. They would have figured that out as soon as they got there. There's a right. trail of fire that goes to the back of the house. Yes. So my feeling is that Columbo was dragging out – that murder, because he wasn't really investigating it anymore, he was investigating the original murder. Hmm. That a lot of the stuff we didn't see him doing was kind of piecing together the facts. Because we have that coincidental moment, which is big in a lot of Columbo's, he happens to look on the TV, right. sees her dressed in a coat and a hat, talking on a phone, and goes, that's who the guy was on the bank that I've been thinking about for the last hour and a half, but I haven't mentioned it before now. And then that leads to the the whole bit about the fountain and why she wouldn't sell the bungalow and all of these little disparate pieces that didn't seem to have anything to do with the arson mm-hmm. suddenly all fall into place. And I think that's all. I think that's what Columbo was really doing here was solving the murder we never saw. Interesting. The plot becomes the a plot. Yeah. 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 Huh. Which is I a like thing that I, idea. I adore about this episode. Like I say, having watched it a bunch of times, raised its estimation for me. Even if I still think it's mid-range, so I mean, it becomes like almost like a cold case kind of thing. Yeah, that he's going after. Yeah, <laughs> really good for his clearance rate. Oh, oh wonderful! Uh-huh. Yes, Two-thirds. if he if he ever goes back to the police headquarters, which apparently he doesn't. No, in the uh, in, uh, forgotten lady, he doesn't. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped. I Whoops, skipped wrong that. episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, 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 we'll get to that eventually. Yeah, eventually, hopefully. Um. No, actually, it's it's really interesting to think of it that way, where it's really an episode about him trying to nail that case instead. And that huh. might be why there's a lot of air in this investigation, frankly. Well, that, that, I thought about that, too. I mean, like, oh, oh is there filler? Is there filler? But this is not one of the longer episodes that required filler. Mm-hmm. So no, it's it was not odd that it felt like it did have some, but it was actually... One of the more compact ones, time-wise. So it's strange right. that it felt that way as I was watching it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah the pacing was strange. Um, I'm thinking about fillers, and mm-hmm. there's there's two things. <clears throat> I know you've got a bit about the restaurant, and I want you to finish it because you told us half before. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were losing our minds, so I really want right. to hear the rest of this. So, um, so it's a great thing that. Um, uh, Mel Ferrer's character, he was the one who was supposed to be murdered. and um, Or was he? Yeah, yeah thank I you, I was John. having thank a sip, sorry. Thank you, John. <laughs> sorry, you're a bit slow on that one. Um, 
So yeah, Ann Baxter goes to meet him at some restaurant, some fancy-looking restaurant. And it's a great scene because he tries sort of blackmailing her because, like, I know you were trying to kill me, and I'll tell the cops that. She counter-blackmails him. (laughs) (laughs) She was, she's the attempted murderer, and she (laughs) counter-blackmails him, which shows you how dark and black the hearts are of these terrible people, these terrible, sleazy, awful people. It's such a good bit. But, yeah, no, it's great, because it's like, Oh, he's pulling the same. Of course he do that. He's this uh, sleazy gossip columnist. But then she counter-blackmails the person she was trying to kill, even though he knows she was trying to kill him <laughs> and kills his supposed fiance. It's like, oh my God, it's horrible. We got to the... discuss whether or not it was she meant to kill him or not. All right. I think she did. But yeah. Um, but this place, they're going around. It's like they're inside this family, this fancy restaurant. But they start walking around these like kind of... Uh, you know, lagoons and stuff like that. And I saw a sign in the background that said free bait with pole rental. Like what the hell? I, I looked it up. It's a real place in Los Angeles uh, called the sportsman's lodge. It's a hotel thing, a bunch of fancy restaurants. And way back when they don't do it anymore. Uh, they also, uh, where they're standing over, it's a thing called the Hollywood trout farms, where they encouraged you <laughs> To rent a fishing pole, they'd give you the bait, obviously. You would catch your own trout. It was stocked with big, fat trout. And then you take it in, and then you eat what you caught for dinner that night. And I guess uh, famous people, actors, would go there. But, my God, I you know, I've been to play. I've been to place where you have public uh, things like that with the water. Yeah, you play with the lobster in the tank and say, give me that one. Right, but this is, this is worse than that, though, because... <laughs> You have to monitor that. I mean, I've been to like a Cedar Point there. Yeah, they got those ponds with a whole bunch of fish in them. Yeah, people are throwing crap in there, spitting in the water. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, plus, it's, it's, it's Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> the air quality, the smog, uh, the particulates going into the water. Why would you do that? Just yeah, I'm crazy. Hollywood Trout Farm. Hollywood, like I know, a- yes. It sounds like Hollywood. a euphemism for something it terrible. It does. It does. <laughs> Like there's absolutely like Mexican cartels involved in yes. the Russian mafia, yeah. and... but it was actually a real. They don't do it anymore, yeah, as far as I know. It was Trout Farm. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it, as, as Columbus in this episode. Oh, casting couch. Oh, yes, I've heard of that term. Oh yes, my it's god, Hollywood Trout Farm. That's that a was, good pun. That was a wonderful line that he had. That's a good pun. All, All right. right. I didn't even. You know what? Seven times watching it, didn't pick it up. What, the no. uh, casting couch? Oh, yes, I've yeah. heard of that term. Yeah. The casting couch. Nice. All right. Um, but, yeah, so that that actually is a real place and a real thing. And at that point in 1973, uh, people were still going there to catch trout from those stocked ponds behind some <laughs> goddamn restaurant and then have them cooked up by somebody. You would uh, go to a restaurant and you would dress up kind of nice. Yes. And then you would go, like... I don't think it's fly fishing or something, but no, fishing is a little messy. I've never gone fishing and not gotten. Well, no, I mean the thing is uh, to speak to the whole class thing. It's a thing where, you know, you get these uh, rich and famous people. They go to this like, oh, look at me! I'm like one of the proles. I'm doing the fishing, like yeah. back of the old ah. fishing hole, which to me seems like an insulting, stupid, terrible thing. Where it's like, oh, look at what I'm doing. Oh, isn't this a laugh? Yeah, well, people do this. Mm-hmm. People do this, or people do this for survival. Maybe you're acting like, "Oh, it's such a novelty." Yeah, so it seems kind of crummy and loud. I wonder if I—I I, I, I don't like I, it. I relate to Duck Dynasty. I mean, quail are kind of different, but you know. <laughs> yeah, sure. Plus, the fish, if I the can, fish uh, can't be enjoying it either. But yeah, <laughs> being jammed wonder- in with a million other fish in some pond, fighting for air, fighting for food, and then you're like, "Oh, Clark Gable, please give me something and get out of here." Like, "Oh, what? Nope, get my head cut off, get my gills cut out." <laughs> What if Barney's Beanery is exactly the same thing, but with beans? Barney's Beanery, <laughs> Barney's Beanery is is a million times more humane and a million times uh, better class-wise than this stupid uh, sportsman's lodge would be in a million years. Hamlet. What was that? Hamburger Hamlet. Yeah, that's right. No, even that's <laughs> better. Shoot your own cow. That's right. Oh, that'd be terrible. That's no, Mel's Char Palace. <laughs> Shoot the cow. Cut the cow. Swing on over to Burger Master, and they they actually just make you work the line for about ten minutes in a hairnet. Right. Anybody ever go to York Steakhouse? York Steakhouse. That was a great thing. 
back in the uh, early 90s. Oof. Uh, Good crap. salad bar. Good salad bar. You no, know, actually, when I was living in New York, we went to a, uh, and I'm a little kid, so I'm not going to remember this, but we went Why'd to Why'd you a, brag a bit more, John? Uh, we, we went to a restaurant <laughs> bragging about former youth. When I lived in New York when I was three, <laughs> all the time. I, we went to a sushi restaurant where the sushi, the, the oh. fish were just hauled out of the damn fish tank. Oh, wow. Jeez. And they were, like, chopped up in front of you. Well, yeah, that's the way it should be. You should, you should. It is, but it's crazy. Confront, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what you're doing. There you go. And also, my, my parents had taught me how to say thank you in Japanese. And oh, nice. I, I meekly said thank you to the sushi chef, and he made a huge deal about it. Oh, that's great, though. <laughs> it was, it was, except I felt like dying. I just said, oh, well, but now you realize, like, oh, that probably it was a neat thing for him. Oh, it like, was. Like, this little but kid, he, that's great. He's, he put the plate down in front of me, and I just really quietly said, Arigato. And then he was like, Arigato, this little boy, and just making a huge racket. That's wonderful, though. Uh, well, and this was, so was this before Styx came out with uh, Mr. Roboto? <laughs> yes, yeah, it was. And, I actually, okay. I so, like, he, he knew knows. that you knew it from the actual teaching. Yes. Oh, okay. This would be about 70, 78, 79. Hey, do you want to hear my Don't Be Arigato song? Yes. Okay. Our okay. uh, story. Um so uh, I used to work uh, for this uh, news website, and um, I used to get uh, press passes to go to the Detroit Auto Show, which is kind of a big deal because it's uh, Detroit and cars. Oh, well, it was back when they still made cars there. Um, and um, they had those um, uh, Volkswagen commercials at the time where the guys would sing Mr. Roboto in the Volkswagen. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Well, here's the thing. Those, uh, those uh, press preview things for the Auto Show... Uh, they had what uh, free beverages, adult beverages for people, and you get to a point where like you're feeling okay. And uh, they had this thing set up where they had Volkswagen had a display where it's like, oh no, you come in the car and you actually can kind of you can sing along to it, and we'll record it. Like, oh, that's great. And so you get in the car, and you realize, oh no, they're gonna play the entire song, which is like seven minutes long, <laughs> and everybody only knows the chorus of that song, and right. so. I'm sitting there, and there's a bunch of other uh, drunk news people watching you sitting in this uh, Volkswagen Golf there in, in the, uh, the Joe Louis uh, Arena uh, convention center thing there. And you're just kind of like, and they can hear you, the fact that you don't know the words to it. They don't provide you the lyrics, and so you're just kind of humming along, looking like you need it for that seven minutes. But here's the nice thing. They give you a uh, recorded CD of it as you leave. Uh, oh, and I, and I took it home, I listened to it, and I physically broke it into pieces. Because <laughs> I wanted no one to ever have any idea that that had ever happened. Yeah, Broken into small pieces, threw it in the shit. trash, <laughs> and that was that. Busted out if you ever tried to blackmail as hard. And I still don't know anything but the chorus to that song. <laughs> You're probably hey, better a, off. Yes. Yeah, it's, and it's another it's another one of those late is eighties rock operas. Yeah, right. Like yeah, po- post prog crime. Yeah. Well, how many? Uh, I I'll am talk- Kilroy. Was that in that I'm song? Gonna, or is a different yep, one. There's on that, that one. Album. Yeah. I'll talk to I'll talk to Nate about prog post prog rock concept there's albums no, later. No, that's our next podcast. <laughs> it's be all prog rock. We'll right get Steve Huey on here. It'll oh, Queens, right. That's right. They did their, like, oh, Pink Floyd Operation stuff. Mind Crime. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I love the title. That's so <laughs> that's good. Great. That's really good, though. Uh, okay, so we're wrapping. We're coming up in about a 15 minutes, so we, we have a lot more to talk about. I know. I love, let's, let's talk about Edith Head. Let's get into Edith Head. Yes. Uh, First, like a really quick, while we're oh, sure. segueing into wardrobes, why does Nora's sweater say, ah? Oh, <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's a weird thing. One of the shots I picked for the Tumblr. Oh, good, yeah, because that's a weird sweater. And she was wearing it, it seemed to me, to she wore it to a occasion or a scene where you wouldn't be wearing a sweater that was screaming. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it seemed like it didn't fit. Child's birthday party. The place, yeah. It didn't fit where she was wearing it. It was peculiar. The the Edith Head appearance is really... Uh, two things happen. So there there's a game you can play whenever you're watching a TV show or a movie that takes place even in part on a, a studio backlot and it's called backlot bingo. Right. And you, you look for certain standard character mm-hmm. extras. So there's almost always a Roman soldier, a monster. Uh, there's almost always somebody on a bike. Sometimes there's well, a Roman soldier on a bike. There's something I always loved about uh, Saturday Night Live. Whenever they do their uh, backstage things, uh-huh. they always do that. 
There's like some woman in an elaborate feathered outfit making fun of that thing. And then uh, 30 Rock carried that over too. You always saw that in 30 Rock. Ridiculous Rockefeller Center people that have nothing to do with the show just doing that kind of stuff. And this episode... in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, yes, yes. That's another one too. And this one... Yeah, like when the Muppet Columbus... Show used to do it sometimes. Right, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one just plays it, but they play it kind of straight, which is strange. They do. But the Edith Head sequence uh, gave me one of the X's on the box because uh, Harem Girls came out. Oh, yeah, yeah, lots of them. And Columbo's just doing his kind of usual Columbo, like, oh, there's ladies not wearing much. Oh, yeah. I'm a little embarrassed and titillated. Bless Columbo. Yes. But the, the Edith Head scene uh, features Edith Head not being anything like Edith Head, which is really weird. How do you mean? She's, she's really ser- she's kind of servile and docile. Ah. My wife, my wife watched this with me the with me the first time, and there's the, the part where Nora Chandler's like Edith, go get that tie. And Kate, Kate just started laughing because she's like, oh yeah, Edith Head's gonna run out and get the tie. Yeah, she does okay. though. Yeah, she does. But she then also, the- but then she doesn't need to be because there's like 500 Oscars on her desk. Yeah, right? like, I love you know, her those Oscar speak, display. Those speak like, for it. Check this shit out. Those are speaking for me. <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll, go, I'll get you your goddamn tie. But uh, while I'm getting your tie off, off screen, uh, take a look at my uh, row of Oscars unbroken across my entire desk. Speak to one <laughs> of my eight little golden friends. That's right. <laughs> Why don't you have one of them go get you a tie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it is kind of funny though that yeah, a Pixar movie gets Edith Head more correct than an actual uh-huh. Edith Head appearance. I Except spent a accent, lot of time, yeah. a lot of time, trying to find old TV guide scans because I wanted to find the original ad for this episode and see how much they played up the Edith Head guest spot. Would they oh. have? I mean, was she oh, that yeah. well known? You think she had eight Oscars? Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> no, she was well known. She was like okay. a, she was a figure in the early seventies. <laughs> But I was really – I couldn't find anything. But I was – they will always announce a special guest star. That's true. And I just wanted to see how they handled it because, you know, as you implied, it's a weird kind of guest cameo. Yeah, because it's not super important. She's not someone who's in – yeah, and she's not someone who's really in front of a lot of people. No, yeah. It's like, like, oh, I saw her in the credits of things. Here? Right. Yeah, yeah, I do – yeah, they're, they when they introduce her, they do this really weird – She's over in Edith Head's place. Edith Head? Yeah, Edith Head. You can't miss it. He goes in. There's the giant Edith Head sign. Is that Edith Head? Oh, that's Edith Head. Is that Edith Head? Oh, it is Edith Head. Right. They they say her name a lot just to make sure you nail that. So yeah, anyway. Most people didn't know what she looked like, I think, at that point. Yeah, probably. I mean, she'd made her Oscar appearances. Maybe some talk But that's it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, mostly you just know her from seeing her name huge in the credits of... Every single, you know, Hitchcock film and everything else, yeah. But uh, but really good tie. That was an okay tie. I liked it, yeah. Yeah, and he changed out of it almost immediately. Right. As you will, as you will. Right, well, because he felt a bit uncomfortable because at that bribe. point... Yeah, it was a bribe. And yeah. also, at that, that that's the scene where... Uh, she does pulls her. I think it could have happened this way thing, and he's all right. like, uh. "You know, I I, I, listen, I know where this is going." All right, uh, were were I a person of import on early seventies Columbo's rather than a baby, I think I would have definitely had the tie show up again, holding something together on the Peugeot, <laughs> <laughs> like tied around a door or something <laughs> to keep it from opening. Uh, just a minor thing. Oh, uh, there's. So, a, I was going to bring up another uh, Kevin McCarthy thing. Oh yeah, please do. Uh, the scene where um, uh, Columbo is with her, uh, Mel Ferrer, uh, Kevin McCarthy, and reveals that uh, oh, Kevin McCarthy's character actually knew about her embezzlement, didn't care. Uh, Columbo is being all innocent in that scene. Kevin McCarthy's character has his numbers. Like, you know, your obtuseness might seem ingratiating to a lot of people. Right. But, like, I know exactly what you are and what you're doing, which I thought was great. Because I always love it when there's some character who knows exactly what Columbo's doing and when he does his fake deference thing. Yeah. I like More... it when someone's not flattered by it and they actually know that he's pulling some scam on them. I it's think that's very lucky cool. that he's not the murderer. So. Yes! <laughs> yeah. No, he should have been! But yes. He really should. He would have made a good one. Oh my god, he would have been wonderful. Ah. God. Uh, so let's discuss whether she meant to kill okay. El Ferrer or whether she meant to kill her assistant. 
I, I have some evidence to back up my, my assertion that she was trying to kill the assistant. All right, go, go post so, I don't think, I don't know. I, I, well, we know that, but the thing is, we know she deliberately let the air out of the tire so they'd have to switch cars. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. we, that, that strongly implies it, at least. Um, Does she expect them to ride together, is my question. I think that's maybe that's what she what was, it was. I okay. think she wanted to get them both. I think when she's shocked at the oh, restaurant. Oh, okay. That's why, because she wanted them both dead. Which oh. was easy to do because apparently oh, that's they were terrible. Pretty, she wanted double homicide. She wanted, and I think because they were bringing so much dynamite home. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a car blow up like that. Right. I've been in a car that was on fire and it did not blow up. So did like the tips of flames licking the underside of the car and suddenly boom. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, you have to expect it's like a guy's gas tank. Had a hole in it. I, I, I had a car that had a hole in a gas tank, and the only thing that happened was I had to take a tow truck the next day to the Gim County Fairgrounds to take it yep. out. That's it. Nothing blew up. Well, another so, thing with the XKE is that it did have kind of dicey electrical systems. Oh, there you as go. Mad that Men once pointed out, so. <laughs> <laughs> this thing, this car is an endless font. Really? Yeah, this it was, is. Um... Of I'm walking away with this in my head forever. And also, that also, I'm never going to buy a goddamn XKE. <laughs> well, they go off the cliffs, they blow up. <laughs> They're terrible. It's like a okay, so, so here's my pinto. other two. My other two pieces of evidence is she had the she had blackmail material mm-hmm. on on the gossip columnist, so she could have turned around at any time and just like checkmated him. But the big thing to me is that the last time she murdered someone, it was over betrayal. Oh, yeah. And not only does her assistant know that she murdered her husband, do you think she tells, does she or no? Wait, the, she she mentioned uh, she says it at the end, which I've only seen twice, admittedly, but <laughs> and not seven times like the rest of the show, right? Uh, but yeah, she she says something about her assistant having known. Oh, okay. and she might have felt betrayed anyway by the assistant for sneaking around behind her back and getting caught up with Jerry Parks. Right. So I think she, you know, I I take the point that she probably was trying to murder both of them. Oh. But I think she definitely wanted to kill her assistant, too. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's a big fountain. Oh, it's a big fountain, which, I mean, I guess uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, let's just and say this now. You and also, you should. You ought, yeah. to, you ought to see the darn thing. It's on the Netflix. It's on the DVD. It turns out in the end that, yeah, she had actually... Murder her husband in a much less sloppy and better crime of passion yeah. years before by smashing the head with the glass, and then she just buried his body um, out in the yard by her bungalow, and then just hit it. Which but is, you know, yeah, in the end, little... her admission yeah. of that, um, her admission is so calm mm-hmm. and just classy, and going along with it, and just relieved. It seems like I liked that. That she's yeah. like, all right, take me along. You got me. Whatever. I thought that was actually uh, quite well done. It's a yeah. dozen years off my mind. Well, see ya. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I thought that Although, was man, bad, what but... must it be like to like live literally, like, what, 15 feet from the corpse of the husband you murdered? That right! Super, super bad juju. Just yeah. no good. Or satisfying. And, and also, everyone's always bringing him up because he ran the studio where you are still working and you're inextricably tied to for the rest of your career. Yeah, if it's like the old Walt Disney Studios, they probably name all the sidewalks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So there's probably one for him. Uh, there's probably there's a studio or two named after him. Yeah. Or a soundstage or two named after him. Yeah. Well, he's he's here in spirit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> change the subject. <laughs> hey. So I, I think the one part about him being buried under the fountain I didn't quite get is, although I think I just figured it out I'm like an idiot, but, uh, you know, they mentioned that they didn't hook up the water and I'm like, so what she, she moved the fountain, buried him and put the fountain back on top. But I occur, it occurs to me now that she buried him, asked the fountain to be, oh put, yeah, to be put in that yeah. specific spot. Yeah. yeah it's okay. like, no, I don't need water. It's just decorative. It's in a memento of my early years. <laughs> Yeah. Who gets an empty fountain? That was the first clue. Yeah, it was strange. Uh, we're getting close well, to the end. I'm the... oh, sorry. Oh, it's the no, early please. 70s. There's a drought on, you know, who knows? Right. Oh, actually, no, it's an excellent water. point. Yes. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. And the easiest way to beat the drought is to just not put any water in your fountain. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. 
Listen to you kids. Always put water in your fountain. Sounds like so advice the, for something else. Keep, keep your the fountain watered. Keep your fountain watered, everybody. Um, Hollywood. Tra- keep your fountain watered at the Hollywood Trout Farm. Always keep it. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna go to the. I'm gonna go to Hollywood Trout Farm. Get my uh, fountain watered on the casting oh, couch. In Nevada. Oh, it all sounds so dirty. It does. Uh, it sounds like something Pete Campbell would say in a salacious manner. Yeah. Oof. Um, uh, so so we're, uh, we're we're winding down to the end. I'm trying to think of uh, uh, random small bits. Um, I'm acting like I'm acting like there is a, a floor director who's like making the circular motion across from me. When it's it's, it's just a, a it's people. just a mirror in my office, and it's just a, a a sad broken man looking back at me. Um. But yeah, it, it's so the uh, his cousin George, the bits where uh, Columbo keeps trying to call his cousin, well, he keeps trying to call Mrs. Columbo mm-hmm. uh, from the actress's bungalow to get her to say something to Mrs. Columbo. She cannot even appear even on the phone in this episode. <laughs> it's always his brother-in-law, George. What if George was like, I don't even have a sister, Frank. Yes. <laughs> Stop She's that. She exists. Let the TV show point me to the audience. Let me tell them she's not real, Frank. No, it's lovely. But yeah, yes, I mean, like she's real. Her name is Maris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, those were wonderful bits. Uh, the phone calls to George. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, I, I realized uh, when Columbo is sitting down uh, watching her film and he realizes what she probably did to cover up the murder of her husband, where he sit in the chair. Uh, there's a frame from that, uh, this very podcast, our website, when I first put it up, uh, almost two years ago, it was a still from that scene, from that sequence. Uh. As I'm watching, I'm like, oh yeah, that, where I had that, uh, f- uh, still up for like two months before, uh, we got around to doing this finally, where he's like, oh, it's a lovely place you have here. And I said, hey, stay tuned for this. I, I didn't realize it was from this episode. And the prophecy has been when. fulfilled. Yeah, exactly. Now we can stop. We don't even have to oh, get to the George Wendt we episode. Can... We're done. We can start digging, the, pulling the dirt back into our own graves. That's right. <laughs> and put a fountain on top. Uh, what have I got? To, oh, I've got a uh, uh, note. Big Al Ledbetter. That was on uh, the back of one of the crew chairs during the. Uh, <laughs> that was on the back of one of the crew chairs during the uh, when she was filming the uh, process scene in the half car. Some guy's esteemed, name. Some guy's name was Big Al Ledbetter. Esteemed director slash blues man. Big Al Ledbetter. I found that important enough to write down because it's a wonderful name. <laughs> that's terrific. That's a good. That's a good outro. Yeah, Should Big Al to... Ledbetter. Uh, like you it. folks, do you have anything? Uh, any last minute uh, small bits that we didn't cover yet? No, I, everything on my list. I uh, I bullied my way into covering everything I wanted to talk about. No, it's good. I mean, you know what? You you got me kind of convinced on her actually, uh, mostly meaning to kill the assistant too. You got, if, you'd seen you got, it, if you'd seen it seven times, you'd you got me swung around, and I didn't have to see it seven ah, times. So thank you for know. taking that and Baxter-shaped bullet. I'll tell you, I really did not like the episode the first time, but by after seven viewings, it grew on me. So that's the secret. If I watched it another thirteen, I bet I'd I'd find it the best episode ever. I'm asking your house guest, how did you feel <laughs> about how did you feel about them the first night, and then by the seventh night, did you like them a little bit better? How did that go? Is that the oh, same deal, kind of? We love our house. Okay, well, there there you go. You're a very uh, diplomatic fellow. I would uh, like to uh, make a note here. Uh, this was directed by Richard Quine. Yes. Richard Quine from television, not to be confused with Robert Quine from television. Yes. What's that, What's our distinction There's there, Robert Nate? Quine? There's a Robert Quine? Yeah, the guitarist from the band Television. Oh, ah. God! Oh, yes. There we go. Okay. That was... It was a bit of a pun. Yeah, I got yeah. it. Oh, oh little boy. Yeah. Actually, I'm looking at uh, Richard Quine's filmography. I know. Oh, Bell he directed Oh, Dad, Poor Dad, Mama's Thing. Oh, God, he directed that? Yeah. Mm. He directed a TV movie of Catch-22. I don't want to know anything about that. Oh. <laughs> Wait, he directed Bell, Book, and Candle? He directed Bell, Book, and Candle. Holy that's the cow. only thing I. That's the only thing I really know him about. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness! But, I'm a bit shocked at that. And you know, if I remember right, and I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but that's a really active camera in that epi- in that movie. Eh, TV. You yeah, slow down. So. Well, he did Dagger of the Mind, which Dagger of the Mind was not a was no. not a particularly well or excitingly shot episode. I hate uh, to say. Double Exposure wasn't too bad. You're fond of that, but when we I do when, when I we, watch it, I'll probably hate it now. 
We'll see. I don't think a so. A cult but... episode? I'm sure it's a little bit. Oh, he did a, he did a Heck Ramsey, which yes. I still think uh, Heck Ramsey, another uh, another series in the NBC Mystery Movie Rotation. You just look at the uh, the premise, the summary of that alone. You got to wonder why no one's uh, tried to revive in that as some sort of thing. Give it time, man. Give it old time. Old West, Old West uh, Detective, how how uh, who done it? I think that would actually that's an AMC show right there. Is what you're doing. Yeah, it's got its yeah. promise. Oh, definitely. I oh. uh before we before we wrap up, I just want to I looked up the Catch-22 TV movie. Oh no. Uh, Richard Dreyfus is John Usarian, not too bad. Oh. Huh. I can handle that. Okay. Frank Frank Welf, uh, Frank Welker as McLeod. Wait, the voice fella? Yeah, the Scooby Doo guy. Yeah, a million other things too. Weird. What if that were it? He just does. He uses that. My God, that would be. I, I would either be terrible, or I would want to see it just for that. Just to. See but he is. Heck. He is replacing the character originally played by Peter Boners. So, oh, hey, he's not bad. I like him. <clears throat> no, he's fine. He's yeah. great. He's yeah, it's just any excuse to say his name. Yeah, right. Peter Boners. It's always funny. But a well, a well-regarded television director, as yes, well as Jerry Robinson, and the uh, replacement boss on Nine to Five, the TV show. Anything else? Oh, right. Oh my God. <laughs> Holy cow! I forgot about that. Wow. Yeah. Good lord! Oh so boy, so much of our so much of our life wasted. Yeah, wasted. Frankly, around. wasted. Yeah, we are. We we've uh, we've cracked an hour, so let's uh, start wrapping stuff up, uh, <laughs> going around. Uh, so, Nate, overall, what did you think of this episode of Columbo? I was with John in kind of uh, in kind of a compressed version because uh, he saw it seven times and liked it each you know, a little more each time. I went like I was really skeptical until the episode actually started to reach the conclusion and I started to piece things together and then it started to piece things together and it actually I think made a fair amount of sense. I'd probably say it's a solid episode even for somebody like me who hasn't seen a ton of the uh classic 70s episodes. I'd say this is a a decent entry into uh, what I can only surmise is a very high quality in general uh, canon of uh, detective action. Well, action in quotes, but you get the picture. So, so you compress John seven viewings into one viewing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. One viewing I, and uh, then mulling it over afterwards. There we go. Yes. That was a very that was a very political and artistic and optimistic way to, so don't, to yeah, look at yeah, this. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, the Colombo TV series will still be voting for you in November. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't offend. Gonna... You didn't offend the Colombo <laughs> TV series. You're still you're still going to make it. I mean, you've made it to primary. You're really making the general election. Yeah, you you're going farther than Rubio it, so, after tonight. Know? I was just going to offer to uh, give you a, a pitchfork style message board response. Oh. Fuck this hipster. There you go, yes. Uh, there you go. Wow, the very 2007 of you. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh me, I thought it was I thought it was okay. It was it wasn't a bad Columbo. It wasn't a great Columbo. It was an okay Columbo. There were like moments here and there that I enjoyed a great deal, but overall it was like eh, it was alright. It was like, yeah, it was good. If you're gonna watch Columbo, yeah. sure, you could do worse. Sold yeah. enough. Uh I John have oh, John, how <laughs> yes, would sir. you rate this Columbo after seven viewings? Uh, I tell you, well, stronger every time. Yes. Uh, uh, lots to commend it in concept, but like rest in peace, Mrs. Columbo, a lot of the concepts didn't come to full realization, mm-hmm. which is a shame. Yeah. But there's enough there for you. Like, even if that doesn't really come together, there's enough for you to kind of play with it in your head. So seven unhooked fountains <laughs> out, of, out of 10. That's yeah. a, it's a reluctant seven, I'll be honest, but I feel right. like their hearts were in the right place. Seven unhooked fountains, maybe five spurting fountains, spurting uh, blood of the long dead. Maybe. Like that, <laughs> yes. And on that note, <laughs> uh, so Nate, if people want to see what you're uh, writing about or what you're doing these days, uh, where should they go there on the internet? Oh man, a few different places. I've been uh, doing a column for Vice Sports about uh, athlete recorded music. Oh, hey, that's neat. Actually, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, and then I've uh, also been doing some uh, retrospective work for sites like Red Bull Music Academy and Stereo Gum, and uh, I'll you know I'll I'll be around here and there. You can check me out uh, Twitter dot com slash Nate Patron. That's N A T E P A T 
R-I-N. Before we go, I want to bring up something. Um, a listener of ours, a listener of the show, Kevin uh, Clawitter out in uh, Wadena, Minnesota, or Wadena, Minnesota, I'm not sure. Um, the folks out there, a theater group they've got, the Mad Hatter's Community Theater, they are doing a production of Prescription Murder this month, March 31st through April 2nd. Uh, then another show on April 3rd. Um, yeah, they got a show. So if you go to madhattersinc.org and you're out in that uh, that neck of the woods, that part of our uh, country, eh, check it out. Go see it. Go see what they're uh, what they're doing. Go see how they were going to interpret it to the character of Columbo, the uh, stage play that kicked off this entire thing uh, by Levinson Link. Uh, but yeah, they're actually doing the version of that. So yeah, if you are in that area. I don't know how many people would... Uh, uh, Nate, do you know where that is? That part of Minnesota? Wadena, Minnesota? Uh, oddly enough, I don't. It sounds like it might be somewhere... Well, it's either north of the Twin Cities or south of the Twin Cities. Well, it probably... Or east or west. <laughs> could be any of them. Maybe it's underground. Well, yeah, here in Minnesota, we generally think of... Twin Cities. <laughs> Wadena, land of the mole people. Yes! <laughs> I'm sure it's a fine town. Come to our play. We haven't seen sunlight in a thousand years. Uh, but, <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, Kevin is actually one of the co-directors of the production. Uh, they're they're, they're uh, solidly into their uh, whole final uh, couple weeks of rehearsals, uh, doing the dress rehearsals, the tech stuff. Uh, but yeah, they got the whole production. Uh, go to their website, madhattersinc.org. Uh, and if you're around there, Grab a ticket or two. Go check it out. Let us know how it went, and I think uh, we'll probably have him on on a future edition of the show, find out how it went, and talk about an episode of Columbo. And uh, I think they might be doing it later on this year. Uh, so we can talk about that, too. Uh, but yeah, this um, end end of March, early April a deal. Eh, go see. And if any other uh, community theater groups are doing productions of Columbo episodes, uh, please write us. Yeah. At Columbo at thecitydesk.net. And but we will also retweet you at JMT um, um, Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we also have our Tumblr, uh, also JMT Podcast, Tumblr.com, where we post uh, things about uh, our episodes and uh, also screen grabs and also other things we find on Tumblr uh, where people are posting about Columbo and their feels. Uh, and also you can find uh, all episodes of the podcast, New or Old, at uh, JMT Podcast. Dot com and also in the the uh, podcast section of iTunes, in the TV film section, uh, all those places on the internet, you'll find us. It'll be easy. Um, that's the show this time around. Uh, I'm RJ White. I'm John Morris, and we'll uh, talk to you next time. Thanks. Listen, just one more thing. Anything else I can... Shh. Well, like I said, we'll get to you. Are you a Shriner? Excuse me. Are you a Shriner? No. Is your partner a Shriner? I don't know. Why don't you ask him? Excuse me, are you a Shriner? No. Is anybody here a Shriner? I'm a Lieutenant Colombo Police Department. I could use some help. Is anybody here a Shriner? Or does anybody here know a Shriner? Lieutenant. Are you a Shriner? No, but, uh, Sir? you know, Frank, the bartender on the corner is a Shriner. Thank you. Does he have a Shriner's ring? I don't know. Why don't you ask him? Thank you.